Thank you so much. Uh, last week, Kimberly and I were with our daughter who has just safely arrived in Uganda with her two, with our two little grandchildren and her two little girls and Tim, of course, and they'll be taking up the role as country director of Tutapona. They'll be there for two years, um, looking after predominantly four uh, refugee camps there. And uh, so we're, it was sort of happy and sad, happy that my kids are doing the things that they feel God's called them to, but sad that we won't see them again for a while. But um, again, fantastic. If you're visiting for the first time, I want to say welcome. We're glad you came to New Hope. And at this time, I'd encourage you to take out your outline, which you would have got when you came in. We're in the last of a series called Changing from the Inside Out. And this is a typical email that pastors receive. It says this, I want to read it to you. Dear Pastor, I need some help. Every morning, I start out with the best intention to change my ways. And I think today is going to be different, but it never is. Somehow, I always seem to fall back into my same old ways of relating to people and my old bad habits. Sometimes, I feel like there's a big tug of war going on inside of me. And I really want to do what's best, but I always end up disappointing myself and I feel God. I've tried everything. I've tried prayer. I've tried resolutions. I've tried self-help books. And this person even tried hypnosis. Not recommended. Nothing seems to work. Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why am I so resistant to change? And why do I do the things that I know are bad for me? I'm very discouraged. And I need some help getting unstuck. Now, have any of you apart from me felt that way? Yeah? Yeah. You see, the truth is that it takes more than good intentions to change us. Would you agree? More than good intentions. It takes more than just, well, I want to be different. If it was desire, if desire was all that you needed to change, well, you'd be a different person right now, and so would I. We all get stuck in a cycle that goes like this. Good intentions, failure, followed by guilt. Then we go back again. No, no, I have another go. Good intentions, failure, guilt. And we go around and around in this cycle. Now, most of us have known what it felt like when Paul, the apostle, the super apostle, talks about this. First verse on your outline and up on the screen. He says, I don't understand myself at all because I really want to do what is right. But, and that's a big but, I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Other versions say, the very thing I don't want to do. Now, if you've ever felt frustration about that, congratulations. Today, you've come to the right place because we're going to look at this. We're going to look at how to defeat persistent, stubborn temptations that keep dragging you down. Now, next week, Pat will amplify this a little bit more. He's got first-hand experience and something that dragged him down for 14 years. That's a long time. I'm not talking about today about the little temptations you get every once in a while here and there. I'm talking about the ingrained, stubborn ones, hard to remove. 
Those struggles that no matter how much you try to stop or change, they just keep coming back and haunting you. And they've, some of you have struggled with them all of your life. And some of your family know about those things. Now the Bible, though, doesn't just point out that this is a human condition as you saw the super apostle talk about. It tells us how to work on this, how to overcome them. And five things I want to mention to you today which will help you and your friends and those listening to become unstuck. Now the first step, the first step to the path to freedom to get rid of that stuff is to preempt your pattern of temptation. And what do I mean by that? Preempt your pattern of temptation. Well, all of us are unique and we have unique patterns in our lives. All of us have unique fingerprints. We all have unique palm prints. We all have unique heartbeats, very unique patterns. And every one of us have a unique pattern of temptation. Now, what I mean by that is there are certain things that tempt you and certain things that don't. In our household, making it particularly personal, chocolate tempts some people in my household. Me, I get a gift. Don't look at anybody, Martin, I'll be in trouble. I, I get a gift of chocolate for my birthday or whatever, and I'm the sort of guy that'll, hmm, first of all, leave it there for a week or two, and when I'm ready, I may undo the top and I'll take one piece off and leave it there. I expect it to be there when I go back tomorrow. <laughs> Somehow we have the mystery of the vanishing chocolate in my place. People will even come into my office and take chocolate that's sitting there waiting for me in three or four weeks when I feel like I'd like a piece. Chocolate doesn't affect me at all. It's like, and same for you, but it does for others. So what I'm pointing out here is what may tempt you may not tempt your wife at all. Not even attracted to it. No attraction. And that's unique. Now, if you are wise, you can figure out where you're most likely to stumble. And you plan in advance how to avoid it. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 4, plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil. What it's saying is plan to avoid evil. Things that drag you down and walk straight ahead. Don't go one step off the right way. So the starting point in breaking a really ingrained habit in your life, I want to kick off very quickly to ask five quick questions. First one is, when am I most tempted? When? Now I'm talking in this particular case about what even day of the week or time of the day. Which day are you most tempted to get depressed? Is it Monday? What day are you tempted to be most wild? Is it Friday night? Or think about the time of the day you tend to be your weakest in certain temptations. Is it early in the morning that you're the most grumpy and grouchy? Is that when you're tempted to just be really short with people and short-tempered? Or is it on the other end of the day after everybody's gone to bed and you turn on the TV? Is that you? You need to know when you are most tempted. Second, where? Is it at work? <laughs> Very plainly, is it in the fridge, in the kitchen? <laughs> Whatever that may be. Is it at your neighbour's house? You found that temptation coming up. Maybe you're envious. 
Is it when you go down to the Celtics and the BP and you see that stack of magazines sitting there? Is it when you're in a meeting with your boss, that one that you really can't stand and your temper is really building? Is that when it is or where it is? Where are you most tempted? Is it in front of your computer? So when you know and where is it, where it is that you're most tempted, you can avoid those places. Third, who is with me when I am most tempted? Like a little want of fitness, this. Some of you are most tempted when you're alone. Nobody else is there, just by yourself. But others, that's not your problem at all. You're most tempted when you're with all of your buddies and they are all wanting to do the wrong thing. Any salesman or manager has been tempted to be pushed along by crab, uh, peer pressure there, that's for sure. And think, ah, well, I'll just do it. For some of you, it's when you're with other people, your friends, the kind that lead you astray. Some of you lose your temper with certain people. Maybe it's a child. That's your issue right there. Or with your husband or wife or a co-worker. Some of you are most tempted when you're with a crowd of strangers and you think, hmm, nobody's watching. Nobody can see what I'm doing now. You need to know that so you can figure it out and plan ahead to avoid the evil. Fourth, you need to ask yourself and be clear about this. What is a temporary benefit I get when I give in here. What temporary benefit? See, because there's always a payoff to giving into temptation. Nobody would give in to sin and fall for temptation if it was a bummer. Right? The Bible says this. It's very clear. The Bible is incredibly practical. Look at this verse, Hebrews 10. In fact, I'm not sure whether I put it in there. You might want to write it out the side. There is pleasure in sin for a short time. The Bible is clear. There is pleasure in sin for, the point is, a short time. For example, if you got an electrical shock every time you sinned, you wouldn't want that. But the fact is, there's a temporary payback. There's a kick, and then I like to say there's a kick back. And that's the problem. There's temporary satisfaction, now notice this, with long-term consequences actually eternal. And we, I, for most of my life, I know I have a growing awareness that I have undercalled the seriousness of sin. Number five, identify how do I feel right before I'm tempted. You go, what? Yes, it's important. To figure out what your emotional triggers are. Some of you have got hot buttons. When do you get tempted? Is it when you're frustrated? Are you tempted when you're lonely? Do you get tempted when you feel unloved? Do you get depressed? When do you get depressed? Is it when you're worn out? You need to know the triggers that move you into temptation or towards it. And the truth is, for some of you, you're tempted when you are bored. And you need to know, how do I feel right before I get tempted? And that leads us to the second principle that's even more important to protect you for succumbing to temptation. And this is the second one, very important. Protect the condition of your heart. 
The Bible says clearly, protect the condition of your heart. It says here, Proverbs 4 verse 23. Above all else, that's pretty high on the priority list. Above all else, guard your heart. Husbands, wives, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. If you want to make lasting change in your life, it starts from the inside and then comes out. You don't try and focus on the behaviour. That's just a symptom. Or focus on your willpower. If you really want to break a bad habit to stop today, you do an x-ray of your own heart because the Bible says guard it. Find out what's going on in there. Here's a quick self-quiz I've put together today for you. And this is just for you. In this church, we believe in getting really practical. We're going to take a quick um, self-quiz, zero to four, and I'll explain the meaning as I go. Let's take a look at this. The first one there on your outline involves your physical condition. This is all important. Am I more physically exhausted or am I more, on the other side, energetic and in shape? Now, if you're total exhaustion, get a circle or one, uh, zero this morning. If you're perfectly in shape, give yourself a four. Rate yourself and circle a number. Am I physically exhausted right now or am I energetic and in shape? First one, put a mark on there. Number two, how about emotionally? Emotionally, am I feeling tremendously discouraged and pessimistic right now? About my life, about my future. Or, on the other hand, the other side of the scale, am I more encouraged? Give yourself a zero to four there as well. How about mentally? Right now, am I mentally bored and, or discontented with my life, with my job, with my relationships? Or, on the other side of the scale, am I more challenged or content, uh, content in my relationships and my career? Put a mark. Those of you who haven't got outlines, can I encourage you in future, just pick one up along the way because that way we become doers of the Word. Thirdly, how about, I say next, how about spiritually? Right now, am I kind of spiritually stagnant or am I more on the growing side of things? Where are you between, like a fuel tank, between dry and empty or full? How about, this is a big one, geographically distant from those folks that I love. Am I alone or am I near to people that I love? Those of you who have to travel a lot, who who get yourself geographically dislocated from those that love you and support you are more open to temptation. So rate yourself on that one. And then am I more insecure and unsure about myself, how I feel about me, or am I more secure and confident about me? Put a number, put a dot somewhere. This next one has to do with hurt. Do you right now feel deeply wounded having been through a crisis recently and you're still carrying around that wound in your heart? Am I deeply wounded and feel misunderstood or do I feel more loved and understood on that side? Just about there. How about this happy, sad continuum? Do I tend to be sad and more melancholic most of the time or a bit more on the happy side? Where are you? And do you feel more alienated or unsupported by those around you? Or do you feel close or supported by those around me? For instance, how emotionally close are you to your family? Is your family a battleground where there are constant arguments and there are walls built up everywhere you look? Do you feel therefore a little distant between those of your husband or wife or children 
Or on the other hand, are those walls down and you feel close and supported? Now the big one, do you have supportive friends? Or do you say that you're detached and you don't have any real close friends that you can share things with that you need to deep things? Now, that's quite a, quite a, a, a warrant. But we take a car for a warrant, this is our life and our heart. It says, guard, above all else, guard your heart. So if we're serious about that verse, we have to take a look. Now, let's add up those points. So if you've got all fours, of course, there's 10 of questions, you'll end up with 40. But if you've got all zeros, of course, it's going to be zero. Add them up and write down your score. I want to make a few quick observations. If you have somewhere between 35 and 40 points, you're in pretty good shape. But if you're patting yourself on the back, can I warn you, pride easily snares all of us. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and lets him who stands take heed. Be careful lest you fall. So if you just got prideful, you're in trouble again. But if you got between 25 and 35 points, you need to be careful because you're more vulnerable to temptation than you realise that you think you are. If it's between 15 and 25, you're in serious danger and you've got very little protection against Satan, the enemy of your soul in your life right now, unless you take some action. If you have less than 15 points, you're in a crisis. And you may not even know it, but you need to get some Christian counsel immediately. You need somebody helping you through this difficult time because you probably won't get through this by yourself. You need somebody to help you. Now, once you've known that, the condition of your heart, the next question you're going to ask yourself is, how long have I been in this state? The more negatives you have for a longer period of time, the more vulnerable you become. Notice what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't do that. What's a foothold? It's when the devil carves out a little space in your life that he can hang on to. He can get a foothold in your life by using negative emotions like when you're angry. Be careful. He can get a foothold there. Physically exhausted or when you're discouraged, when you're dry or bored or insecure or you're deeply wounded, that can flare up into arguments. Secretly bitter when you're sad or when you're alienated. Any one of those things can allow, the, uh, the Bible says, the devil to take a foothold in you, in your life. Now, if you get two or three of those things ganging up together, say, for example, that you're frustrated, worried and depressed all at the same time, then that's a powerful combination that's setting you up for a major temptation. So to protect you from succumbing to temptation, the Bible says and point to guard your heart. Three, the third thing to do, the Bible says, is to pray for help. Now prayer, please listen to this carefully, prayer is not the only thing you must do to overcome temptation. It is not the only thing, but it is something you must do. God's Word to us is very clear. If you don't pray, you have no strength, you have no protection against temptation in your life. In fact, the Bible says it here, Matthew 26, 41. Keep alert. No snoozing off. No getting casual and lackadaisical here. Keep alert. And then what does it say? So keep alert and, and what? And pray. 
Two things, both have to be true. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, what will happen? What does the Bible say? Temptation will overpower you. So if you don't want temptation to overpower you, the Bible says you need to do two things. Keep alert, be aware of the condition of your heart and pray. Sometimes you have to pray, God, I don't know how to stand up against this temptation. I need a way out. Would you please provide it? Because you promised one. The Bible says also in Psalm 50 verse 15, call to me, call to me when trouble comes and I will save you. So you send up an SOS and God says, you do that, I'll be there, I'll help you. The Bible is filled of good examples of things like this. When people who called upon God when they're in trouble, He helped them out. Daniel, Peter and Paul. And we know how God can help us in trouble. The Bible says it here, Hebrews 4. Jesus understands our weaknesses. Let's just back that, rewind. Jesus understands our weaknesses. For He faced all the same temptations we do. Yet, He did not sin. So, let us come boldly before our gracious God. There we will receive, what? His mercy and His grace to help us when we need it. Specifically in relation to temptation. Circle, same temptations. I want you to circle that. We just blew right across that. Does that mean that Jesus was ever struggled or ever struggled with a temptation to be angry? Did he? Yes. He suffered the same temptations. I'd want to throttle the Pharisees. I'd want to throttle some of my own guys for what they said sometimes. Did Jesus ever face the temptation to have a sense of self-pity about his own life? Same temptation. He was tempted. Jesus faced temptations that had to do with fatigue. He was exhausted and loneliness. All of the same things that we face. The difference is the Bible says he never sinned. But because he was God in a human body. Now he faced the same temptations, but he chose never to sin. That means he can not only be sympathetic, but he can give us the power to overcome those temptations in our lives, the same ones. So many times though I found when we're facing temptations, the very last thing you want to do is to talk to God about it. Maybe you found that too. Why? Because we feel guilty. Because we think, well, he'll just heap judgment on me and I just feel guilt if I talk to God about it. But that verse we've just looked at reminds us that when we go to God, He doesn't give us a tongue lashing. When you talk to Him about your temptations, you don't need to feel guilty. You receive His grace and His mercy. You'll find His mercy and you'll find His grace again. So you find somebody who cares, somebody who has the power to make the difference, the power of the Holy Spirit which makes the difference in our lives. The fourth principle to breaking a lifelong habit is point your attention somewhere else. This is all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. If you're getting depressed, 
You attempt to do all this thing. The Bible says, change the direction of your thoughts. Refocus on something else. Shift your attention. James, the brother of Jesus, says this here in James 1. Look carefully. Temptation is the pull of your own evil thoughts and wishes. Wow. Circle thoughts and wishes, your own, your own. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions. So the Bible says that temptation always starts in the mind. It doesn't even start with an emotion. It doesn't start with an action. It starts with a thought. So the battle is always in your mind. It begins there. And if you're ever going to overcome temptation, you've got to refocus your thoughts and you've got to point them in another direction because whatever gets your attention gets you. Second Corinthians is the key. Paul is quite clear about this. He says, we capture every thought and we make it obey Christ. Sometimes I catch myself having to say, whoa, get out of here. I have to almost wrestle with those thoughts and push them out. Now that's not an easy thing to do. We, but Paul says we capture every thought. We don't just woo, let them wander wherever they want. We've got to bring them under control until we make them obey Christ. Christ honouring thinking. Now that's not easy to do. Notice the military terminology here. With God as commander in chief, Capture your thoughts. Don't be lazy. Be alert. Learn to control your thought life and manage your mind with the help of the Spirit. It's something we all have to practice. It's not easy, but it is possible with Jesus to renew your mind in more positive, beneficial, edifying ways than rather self-destructive ones. Now notice the Bible also says, resist the devil. Resist the tempter. Now, it's interesting. One day, Jesus had been out in the wilderness for 40 days. He'd been praying and fasting. That's quite a long time. And if you've been into that wilderness there, it's hot. You think this is hot? It's blistering, sizzling, parching. 40 days praying and fasting. He was hungry. And the last day, notice often, the last day, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, why don't you just make those pieces of stone there, those stones into beautiful pieces of hot bread? That's effectively what he was saying. Turn the stones into bread and why don't you eat them? Now that was a temptation for Jesus because clearly he had the need to use his godly power for selfish reasons to satisfy his fleshly appetite. Now notice something very interesting about this encounter. Jesus didn't say, well, actually saying, I'm not hungry. First of all, that wouldn't be true. And he didn't say, I'm not hungry, because he was hungry. He just says, Satan, I'm not going to do that. Get out of here. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. He resists the devil, not the temptation, the tempter. He didn't focus on the temptation, on his desire for food. He didn't argue with the devil. And by the way, don't you argue with the devil because you're going to lose. Basically, when temptation calls, don't even pick up the receiver. Ignore it. Turn your back on it and choose to think about something else. The Bible says don't let 
evil conquer you. Don't let it, military terminology. Don't let evil conquer you. But you conquer evil with good. So turn your thoughts from the wrong thing to the right thing, from the bad thing to the good thing. And this is a principle of replacement. So what do you fill your mind with? I know what I shouldn't fill my mind with. The Bible is so clear again. A beautiful verse found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. They haven't popped it on your outline, but you'll see it here on the screen. Whatever is true, that's what you think about, true. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, quick juxtaposition here. Think about that verse right there and then think about the TV programs that you watch. Is there a contradiction? Are the TV programs, are the videos that you watch, do we have videos anymore? You know what I mean, Netflix, whatever. Are the novels you read, are they true? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Sounds a bit weird, but if Jesus was literally sitting next to you, would you be watching it? Sobering thought, isn't it? Would I be reading it? Would I be looking at that? Would I be reacting that way? If you have problems with impure thoughts and daydreams, examine what you're putting into your mind. Examine that. Don't just, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Everybody else is watching it. You may have to get up and walk out because in your heart of hearts, you know you're being convicted by the Spirit of God. Internet. What's going into your mind through that? Through books, through conversations, through movies, through magazines. So the point is you replace harmful thoughts with wholesome material. Above all, Read God's Word and pray. Now, there's one more principle that most of you have ignored because you kind of want to solve the problem on your own. And the evidence of that is, again, Pat, who wanted to try and do that by himself. See, I can handle this by myself. Friends, if some of you could have overcome temptation on your own, you've been done doing it a long time ago, but you can't. And the fact is that there are many of you here today that have said, today's going to be a new day and I'm going to be different. And all the resolutions and the desire in the world doesn't seem to change you. Folks, you need other people who are going to help you and encourage you. When Pat finally came to confessing and recognising he had a problem, when the alcoholic finally comes and says, yep, I've got a problem, and tells somebody else about that who will walk the journey with them, that, my friends, is the day a new start has begun. So if you want to overcome a lifelong temptation, participate in a, sp a small supportive group where you can meet some people and learn to love them and let them love you and develop trust so you can share with them. The truth is there are some problems in your life you're never going to solve just by yourself. And Ecclesiastes underlines this. Ecclesiastes 4, well-known verse. Two are better than one. 
Let me say that again. Two are better than one. Why? Because if one falls down, the other can help him up. Pat had a particular guy in his life that walked through him through the, uh, through when he was coming off the drugs, who walked all the way. And when Pat was down, this guy was able to haul him back up. But if someone's alone, nobody can help him. You don't, friends, listen carefully to this. You do not need a lot of friends in life. But you need a couple. Just a couple. Who know you well enough, but even though they know everything about you, they still love you. <laughs> you only need a couple. The honest, unadulterated truth. You don't hold anything back. You do need people who will encourage you and love you and support you in spite of yourself. In spite sometimes of my dumb decisions and your dumb decisions. You need people who will hold you accountable. And you can hold them accountable and you help each other out. Question to all of us here today. Does being a follower of Jesus Christ exempt you from temptation? Does it? Of course not. The Bible says we all have the same temptations. Nobody has it all together. Because the Bible says if we say that we haven't sinned, we're deceived. We can't even see it. We're so blinded. In fact, that's why James again says a little further on in the book, James 5.16, admit your faults to each other. I want you to circle that part. This is biblical. It's not prideful culture. This is make everybody else think that you're perfect. <laughs> we all know you're not. And I'm not. So the first thing it says, number one, circle that, admit your faults to each other. And then circle the next thing too, pray for each other. See, it's in the plural. And then three, circle the last thing, so that you may be healed. Wow. So three things, very practical. Admit your faults, one. Two, pray for each other. Three, that you may be healed. You're not going to get to number three, be healed, until you do the first two things. You're not going to make the progress that you want to unless you do the first two things. A mutual concern for one another is the way to compound discouragement and downfall. Admit to somebody else, pray and have them pray for you. Don't conceal it. What I'm saying is reveal it. Don't repress it. Confess it. The Bible says confess. And finally, there's no closure without disclosure. And it all starts by being honest, having a humble assessment of where things are, what isn't working in my life. Now, when you open that door, then freedom, I know, is just around the corner because God's power is beginning to work because He always gives grace to the humble, but He is opposed to the proud. Real change is about to start because you can't start working on bad habits and that you're still denying our bad habits. That's why the Bible says, confess, don't deny. So what lifelong habits would you like to start breaking right now? Are there some? You know what to do. We've just been through those five points. Now God can give you the power to do that. He's given you a roadmap to follow. It's your decision now. Do you want to be different? Do you want to change from the inside out? I want to finish with a final powerful scripture from 1 Corinthians 10. 
no temptation that comes your way. So the coming your way this week is, is beyond what others have been, had to face. In other words, we're all in the same boat. We all have the same temptations. You're no different to me and I'm no different to you. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will never let you be pushed past your limit and He'll always be there to help you come through it. Another version I love of mine says, He will always provide a way of escape. So if you're there this week and you see a situation and you already know it's coming because you've been primed for this on Sunday at church and your pastor said, watch out, this week it's coming. And you say, oh, there was no way I could avoid that. The Bible says that is not true. The Bible says every temptation you face, God promises He will always provide a way of escape. The question will be, is do you want to escape? With His power and the Holy Spirit's prompting, my prayer is you will. And you'll say, God, help me. I want to change. You just have to be willing to trust Jesus and do it His way, not your way. Let's pray. Today this message is going to be the beginning of a new start. For those of you who have been stuck in a rut or a cycle of good intentions, failure and guilt, Good intentions, failure, and then falling into guilt again. Dear one, I want you to know that today you can be free of that horrible cycle. On this earth, you will never be sinless, but you can sin less. You just have to be willing to trust Jesus Christ and to do what He tells you and to take the route of escape that He provides for you in your moment of temptation. He will always do that. We've looked at God's principles today and God brought you here today because there's something He wants to change in you. My question to you is, will you cooperate? Are you tired of holding on to that hurt or that hang-up that's just keeping you in a spin? If so, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Just say, and, and the words don't have to be exactly the same. If you want to follow along with me, that's fine. But it's the attitude of your heart and the agreement of your heart which God understands. Why don't you say, dear God, you know all the habits and the temptations in my life the things I've fallen for that have trapped me for years, the things that I say, ooh. sometimes the things that I do, you know the tempting situations that I'm facing and you even know the temptations ahead of me this week that I haven't the slightest idea are coming my way. So I'm asking for your help to overcome them. Starting today, Father, I am willing to follow your principles so that I can change and be free. Help me to clearly see and analyse the patterns of my life that are leading to temptation and ultimately sin. And give me the strength to start 
to be smart and avoid those situations. Help me, Holy Spirit, to refocus my mind and my attention on other things when I am tempted. And today, Father, I commit to finding a small group where I can be encouraged and help others too. I realise, Lord, that I need other people in my life. But most important, I need you to do some heart surgery on me. Would you please remove the negative emotions that make me vulnerable and replace them with your love that we sung about this morning, your forgiveness and your trust. I give it to you, Lord. I ask you, Jesus Christ, to change me from the inside out, beginning today, in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.